Hello, friend. Welcome to episode 19 of Sally's Performing Arts Lab Podcast. Every day I gotta stop for a minute Think about how good my life is with you in it Every day I wanna stop and think about you I'm your host, Sally Adams, and we're going to talk about how to produce original performing arts work for the stage. If you're not a Performing Arts Lab subscriber, find a platform and subscribe to Sally Pal. I'm on a bunch of podcast platforms, including Podbean, where Sally Pal will be a featured show during Thanksgiving week. (laughs) If you haven't signed up for the Sally Pal freebies like theater comics, super helpful links and articles, and the awesome cool sections of your creator's notebook, you can still sign up on sallypal.com slash join to get your 20-page free theater resource. It's useful, entertaining, and you can do your pop quizzes right out of these pages. We'll keep building on it every month. Today's episode features artist and teacher Jan Butler. Jan is a former collaborator and my forever friend, and her background is in 2D and 3D art as well as puppeteering. She works with students in stop-motion animation, graphic novels, pottery, mask-making, and she teaches kids all about monarch butterfly migration and supports the butterfly population in northeastern Oklahoma. On top of all that, Jan is a member of the Tulsa Oratorio Chorus and a consummate gardener. Be sure to listen until the end of the interview for concise advice from the interview and words of wisdom from George. Let's get started. Welcome to my show. That's great. Thanks, Jan Butler. I appreciate you talking to me. Jan, you and I have had great arts conversations over many years. That's true. Some of the conversations were so interesting to me because I found out that you have interests that go far beyond what it is that you teach. You've been a puppeteer. You've been involved in all kinds of things around performing arts without actually getting on the stage yourself, except for you also sing in a chorus. So then you have gotten on the stage. Yes. I think you do an amazing job of bringing out the best in your students. Well, that's nice. When you have a student come to you and they want to express something, but they don't feel like they're good enough or that they know how, how do you relate to that student to help them bring out their best? It sort of depends on the age because, you know, I teach fourth through eighth. Right. Often the fourth and it's the younger ones who want to be really good at something and don't yet understand that it takes practice and for anybody to get good at drawing or whatever they're doing. So I try to steer them away from that and just get them to think about ways like the story they want to tell or whatever and just get them drawing. It's okay. Do it stick figures, you know. Let's just start with stick figures. (laughs) And here's a way you can put clothes on stick figures. And here's a way that you don't have to have straight legs. You can actually put a knee on a stick figure, and it looks a little better. And so they're going, yeah, okay, okay, I can do that. (laughs) Yeah, you start where they are and just get them to not worry about how they're doing it, but get them to try to express something in pictures that they are not doing in words, or they want to say it in words, but they have to do it in pictures. So whatever it is you want them to try and do is let's see if we can figure out how to make this happen on a piece of paper or or clay or 
get them to think bigger than the moment of actually doing it so that they can carry through to something that's a new thing for them that they want to try and get better at. Do you have a memory of anybody doing that for you? I do remember having a fifth grade teacher. I was drawing a lot, but I was also very tentative, and I didn't think I was very good. I just wanted to draw, and I had a fifth grade teacher. I learned later my mother placed me in that class to get me away from a best friend whose artwork I copied all the time. When that teacher saw me drawing a big picture of a giraffe, she just said, this is really great. I love that you're drawing this. You're so good at this. And I took that home and I told my mom. She kept that picture. That was like a watershed moment for me in fifth grade that somebody thought I was good at this, you know. I see you nurture kids to a better spot. Do you find that that's as satisfying as creating the art yourself? Yeah. I had an experience in sixth grade at the same school, and it was a homeroom teacher who had the art supplies, and so she was sort of like the art teacher. She was a real weird lady. She um, made fun of kids all the time, really Mm. terribly made fun of them. And she loved me because I could draw, right? I Mm. could make a duck in clay. I could draw. So I was a teacher's pet. And what hurt me the most was when she made fun of a lot of kids, and especially one, a young guy who was kind of scrawny and whatever, and and just all he wanted to do was draw. And she made fun of him in front of the whole class. I was mortified. I said, I do not want to be a teacher's pet for this person. That stayed with me for years and years, and still I can remember that moment. Tell me about the mind shift. For years, I thought of myself as an artist. I came out of college thinking I'll never be a teacher. I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be an artist. And that Mm -hmm. went on for years and years. And I did do art for a long time. I always uh, kept my hand in teaching some small classes at a museum or whatever like that. When I decided to make a switch and be a teacher instead of an artist so that teaching was my profession, not making art, I did a mind shift on purpose so that I would make that jump and not always think I'm going back to art. Okay. I am first and foremost a teacher, not an artist. So when you make that mind shift, you think of all the ways that you can help kids get better at something. And it doesn't have to be art. It can be exploration. And that's one reason that I'm really involved in science and art, and I raise butterflies with kids and all this stuff, is because I'm really fascinated by the natural world, and I want kids to understand my love for it. And what better way than to actually show them and get them involved. Every few months, you're taking a group of kids out on a nature hike with a sketch pad. Yes. Raising butterflies right now because it's the monarch season, and and I'm really involved in that as a personal mission. (laughs) Yeah, it is a mission for you, isn't it? Yeah, to raise awareness and help monarch butterflies. But you are still an artist. I imagine you still think of yourself as an artist. I do. I can't help but think of things in a visually artistic way. I don't feel I need to be recognized for that. That's just something I carry with me. It's kept me going for many years because I feel if I can make a contribution to some children's lives, that's a really good thing. Well, you and I have talked a lot about what arts teachers know that many other teachers do not. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a matter of stepping back. Yes, yes. Under the guise of making art, I try to help them develop that. 
by sequencing and trying to understand different rules or how you go about handling clay and all that stuff so they can practice it. And when they understand the sequencing and how all this fits together, then that's one practice that carries over into academics. Absolutely. When you find a kid who is not a superlative student in the academic world but comes into your class and shines... How can we teach those kids to harness that? Yeah, it's a really big question, too. I'm not sure if I can teach those kids how to harness it, but what I can help them do is discover that part of them which makes them feel good about themselves. And if they have confidence they can do something, I think that confidence carries over into other parts of their life. So that's what I think I can do for them. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And I do think we see students who have a really rich inner life. And once they're given the opportunity to create, it just it just feels like it explodes. And they've so much to say. Yeah, that's true. And whether they say it visually or in a performance, it's still coming from the same creative space, I think. Yes, it is. You've been on both sides of things. You know, you've been a a puppeteer. You've sung in the chorus for many, many years. Do you see similarities in in the pursuit of those two areas? Experiences I had as uh, before I got to college, which were on stage, but under direction and as part of a group. And, um, and and even in college, I was always, I have to do it in a group. I'm not, I uh, can't get up there by myself. And I'm still that way. I, I think I can do a solo, but when it, and I practice and practice, and I think I found, you know, sounds great. I get up in front of it and I clam up, cannot do it. Never got past that. I can do it in a group, but I can't mm-hmm. do it alone. As long as I have the support of the people around me, that's why I love chorus. Many types of art are static. You know, you make it and then you look at it. But chorus is a temporal mm-hmm. thing. It can only happen in time. And as a chorus member, it can only happen with others of like mind. Because choral singing can only be done with others. It connects people in a sort of ribbon of time colored by emotions. Jan, that's quotable. I love it. Mm, Yeah. Well, it's certainly collaborative, so there is that sort of community that goes with it, I think. Mm -hmm. You can't be a vocal star in a chorus. Right. For a performing artist, I think it's akin to basketball in a weird way. There really can't be a star. It's not all that interesting until that person faces some sort of adversity. The big man with the ball. That's what you see in the theater, because you always want to have something for the characters to be working through on stage for it to be interesting. Right. Choral music, symphony music, it can exist without the adversity, I think. It can be beautiful. It's a beautiful choral group that you belong to. Has this been the same people for a very long time? Yeah, it changes and morphs. It's Tulsa Oratorio Chorus, and I've been with them from the beginning. I think it was 1998 or 1999, where we were encouraged by Ed Byram, who was at that time choral director at TU, Tulsa University, mm-hmm. and wanted to put a choral group together to sing Beethoven's Ninth. Then 9-11 happened. We did that, and then the following year we did Brahms, and we sang the Brahms Requiem, I believe. Then made a trip to Mexico City in 2012 to sing it on September 11th in 2012 in Mexico City. Wonderful. That was a wonderful experience. And so ever since then, I've been trying very hard to always be in this group. We have talked a little bit about your puppeteering days, but I'm very curious about that because you did marionette work 
you not only operated the puppets, but you created them. That was a wonderful experience. Um, both my husband and I did that as part of a workshop that was started by Andy Trumpeter. He was from Holland. He was in Tulsa as part of the Arts and Humanities group, and he was doing a workshop on making puppets and putting on a show. Right. So we did that together just because it sounded like so much fun. We learned how to make huge head-covering masks and puppets and all this stuff, and we put on some wonderful classes. I learned about different kinds of puppetry, especially marionettes. I saw wonderful marionettes from Salzburg where the sound of music was placed and also the marionettes that are done in Salzburg. So when I was visiting there, I did see an opera production put on by marionettes, and I was blown away. I thought, this is so wow. amazing. The thing you always talked about, the suspension of disbelief, happened mm -hmm. watching that, because you're just certain after a while they're telling the story, and these are people. This oh. isn't marionettes anymore. <laughs> is there a template for building marionettes? All over the Internet, you can see different ways to build marionettes, what articulation you want arms and legs to do. Of course, the really good ones have jaws that open and close when they're speaking. It's not something I ever learned to do. There are some pretty simple ones that you can do just with four strings. One string has to hold up the doll itself, and then by lifting or rocking back and forth with left or right fingers on one hand or the other, you can make arms and legs go up and down on opposite sides. Practice with anything, you could get really good at it. There are a lot of kids who have things that they want to express and don't know how to do it. Fifth graders, we always make masks, and they're decorative masks. They get to express all kinds of things with that, and we talk about what a mask does and how powerful that is, and different cultures using masks for this or that, how they wear them and what they use them for. And so there's quite a bit of culture that comes in, but when they are ready to express something, they can get behind that idea of a mask and see the power that they can have. Are you ever surprised? Occasionally, very stereotypical, the girls will make sweet masks and the boys will make not-so-sweet masks. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, it crosses over. A boy will put a lot of jewelry on his mask or a girl will make a scary one really scary one. I try not to limit them. I let them choose. When they're so young, some kids are ready to pop and others not so much. Exactly. The parents that have kids here at Holland Hall are here because it is an environment where everybody gets to experience the arts in some way, mm -hmm. especially middle school where it's really encouraged. They have to choose an art here or there. For children to feel that they can express something in different ways is really important for them to be able to write an essay, of course, but learning to create the story behind that essay and how they can experience something through different senses and then put it into a story really makes the education stick. So much of the art that happens when you're young is a collection of experiences that you want to get better at and to give them the opportunity to work at something and fail without being judged for it is really important. I could not agree more. I think we learn, I've always said, we learn more from our failures than our successes. Mm -hmm. And when you have a lump of clay and you can't make it do what you want, you could just squish it up again and make something else. Yeah. I think the arts are all about fail and improve, you know? I wish we had a different attitude toward failure as a society, because I think we'd learn a lot faster if we did. Mm -hmm. But I've often thought of visual arts as generally more of a solo pursuit and performing arts because you're always going to have an audience, even if it's a solo show, you are collaborating at every level. 
Do you think of the solo artist as a collaborator? You mean a visual artist? I'm sorry, a solo visual artist. They do eventually have an audience. Is there a collaboration there or is it just, here's my thing, you look at it and we're we're done? I think it's more of a, an individual thing. Like a writer, you have an idea in you that needs to come out. This is a $64,000 question, but if you are making something to sell, is it art? Are you doing a creative thing because you need to express yourself or are you doing it to copy yourself because it sold before. Ah. And that was one of the main reasons I made that switch was I felt I was not creative anymore as an artist because I was making things to sell. I can now be creative and free because now I'm yeah. a teacher, so I can be an artist for me. You probably have some good advice for people who are working as artists, who are thinking about teaching either being a teaching artist or switching gears entirely and keeping their art personal. What kind of advice would you give to somebody? Do it for yourself. Don't do it because somebody tells you to do it. Look into your wants and desires and what you really feel, and then you can make that choice. What about advice that you would give to people who are teaching in the arts now? Try to be open and always searching for new experiences for yourself and for your students to keep it fresh. I couldn't do this job if I had to stay in the same mindset all the time. I'm always looking for new things that are interesting to me, and if they're interesting to me, I can transfer that to the classroom and say, let's try this. Look, at, I just found out about this. I want you guys to see this. Look, at, this is so cool. I can teach how to view things in a certain way and how to try a new thing that they've never tried before. Yeah. This is why I think you're the consummate arts teacher. Thank yeah. you so much. I just felt like I grew so much as an arts teacher working with you and watching you. I learned a lot from you. Jan, thank you so much because I know this is a little bit of a dip in your day to take time out to do this. It's a wonderful dip in my day. It's now time for Concise Advice from the Interview. A short version of tips from my guest, Jan Butler. Get up, get up. Today, I have 10 bits of advice from a visual artist for all artists. Number 10. Layer your learning to build on what you already know. Number 9. Think bigger than the moment you're doing your art. Number 8. Focus on the story you want to tell. Number seven, feed and nurture your inner artist. Number six, for children to feel they can express something in different ways is really important. Number five, getting to experience something through different senses before it becomes academic really makes learning stick. Number four, the opportunity to work at something and fail without being judged for it is really important. Number three, as a teacher, you can be creative and free to be an artist for you instead of for people who purchase your work. Number two, be open and search for new experience for both you and your students to keep it fresh. And the number one piece of advice from visual artist Jan Butler, whatever you do, do it for you.
That's it for concise advice from the interview. Next week, you'll hear pianist, conductor, teacher, and actor Jeremy Stevens and I talk about expressing stories through music. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sally, and this is Sally Pal. The P-A-L in PAL stands for Performing Arts Lab. Check out the blog, sallypal.com, for articles and podcast episodes and to sign up for a free Creator's Notebook insert. It's all about who you need to help staff your production. I can't possibly put on all of the names of the people I need to thank, so I'm just going to say thank you for sharing, subscribing, reviewing, joining, and especially thank you for listening. I encourage you to pursue your dream to have your original work on the stage in front of a live audience. It's scary, but I'll be here with advice, encouragement, and a growing community of people like us. If you like Sally Pal, a new podcast goes out every Monday evening. Now, I have one bit of wisdom from George, my husband, the coolest guy on the planet. George, what's your wisdom for today? Focus on what's right in your world instead of what's wrong. Well said, George. Well said. Excellent advice indeed. Remember, all the performances you've ever seen on stage once lived only in someone's imagination. Now, it's your turn. Thank you again for listening. If you're downloading and listening on your drive to work, or falling asleep to my snappy banter like my sister does, let me know you're out there. I want to help you learn to produce and direct original shows for a live audience. It's what I do, and you can too. Think about it. To my silly Sally 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 Wow. Yeah. 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 It's about the art. What did I write? Let's try that one. One more time! That doesn't make any sense. Jeremy Stevens and I... And I... (laughs) With this floral and hearty handshake... Okay. Well, thank you all, but thank you personally. Thank you, Pat 
and John and Jeremy and Steve. Because choral singing can only be done with others, it connects people in a sort of ribbon of time colored by emotions. 